Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. I don't know if you remember, several years ago, there was a a television show. It was uh, one of these, well, game shows. It was hosted by Regis Philbin, if you remember, and, and it was a big hit for a long time. I don't know if it still airs, but it was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I mean, just the question alone was enough to suck us right into the television, wasn't it? Because in answer to that question, who wants to be a millionaire, all of us would say, me, 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 I want to be a millionaire. There's a quote from one of the richest men America has ever known, John D. Rockefeller. He was asked, well, how much is enough? And he said, a little bit more. And a lot of us would say, it's a little bit more. I just need to want a little bit more. I would love to be a millionaire. Who wants to be a millionaire? I do. I would like to try, at least. And this morning, as we continue on in this series, uh, keep on rocking in the real world, where we try and allow our faith to dictate some of the things that we're doing in our everyday life, as we try and uh, strengthen our faith and, and, and help it to become more robust in the world that we live in, uh, James takes us uh, right into the world of our wealth, of our money, what we do with it, and our work. You see, our work and our wealth are not disconnected from one another. And James, peering into a, a culture and in a church, uh, all of whom would say, hey, I would love to be a millionaire, he begins to try and say, hey, there's some things I want you to think about. And the question that he helps us wrestle with this morning is, how is it that we should approach our work and our wealth? How is it that we are motivated around these two things, our work and our wealth? Uh, In what manner, what's our motivation for our work and our wealth? You see, he's talking to this church, and the church is actually fairly poor. They're not well off. They don't have a lot of money. In fact, they are the people who are working for the wealthy. Uh, They're the people who, who, uh, their backs are providing the wealth that the wealthy are enjoying. And if you can imagine sitting there and they're looking at the big house on top of the hill, they're looking at what money can buy, they're looking across the fence, and here is this church, here are these Christians, and they're looking across over there, and they're saying, I'd like to be a millionaire. I'd like to have what they have. And so as he looks, and as he looks over his church, and he looks over these believers, Uh, He looks over these followers of Jesus and says, hey, let me allow your faith to inform your work and your wealth. How you approach those two things are going to be really important for your faith moving forward. And he gives them a couple warnings. In fact, he gives them two warnings, and he says, here's some things not to do. I can see that you want to be a millionaire. I can see that you you would love to have uh, what you don't have now. I can see that. But I want to give you a couple warnings about what comes with work and wealth if you're not careful. I want to give you a couple warnings. I want to give you a couple things not to do. And then I want to give you a couple things to do. 
I want to lead you in the right path. I want to tell you what you ought to do. And in many ways, James here is being a prophet. Twice in the passages that we're going to look at this morning, he says, <coughs> he says now listen up. He actually begins both sections of the text that we're going to look at, and he says, now listen. Now, parents, have you ever looked at your children, and you've said something to the extent like, if I ever catch you, in fact, it happened for me not, not, not long ago, uh, we were walking out of a certain place, it was a crowded place, there were a number of, of teenagers in front of us, and the things that were coming out of their mouth, I, I just, I could have almost thrown up right there, and I looked at Lydia, who's going to be a teenager here in about a month, and I said, if I ever hear you talk like that. Or maybe you, you have been uh, going down and you've been uh, looking at the new styles of clothing on some of the children out there in the world, and you look at your own children and you say, if I ever catch you dressing like that. Right? Have, have you, no, no, you never said that or thought it? Well, this is kind of what James is doing for his church. He's looking at his church and he's saying, hey, in regards to work, in regards to your wealth, in regards to what it is that you think that you want, uh, let me inform you. And if I ever catch you doing these couple of things, shame on you. Misery will come and visit you. So if you're interested in what James has to say in informing your faith and work and wealth, Open up your Bibles with me to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, and we'll get to chapter 5. James gives us some things not to do, and he tells us some things that we ought to do. He gives us some warnings, and then he gives us some instruction. The first warning that James is going to give us is, is really, hey, uh, there's an old proverb that goes something like this, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Uh, don't presume that you have everything all locked up, that you have it in the bag. Don't be presumptuous. Don't be arrogant about your business workings. Don't assume more than you can assume. Notice what he says in verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Sounds like a good plan. I want you to notice, skip down to verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. He says, don't be arrogant about uh, how you presume to go about doing your business. Now, in these couple of sections in verse 13, all the way through verse 6 in chapter 5, uh, exactly what James is doing is what I told you about earlier. He's not addressing uh, necessarily rich Christians in his church. He's looking at the outside world and he's saying, if you ever look like that, that's what he's saying. And he begins to say to his church, if you ever have an opportunity in your business dealings, you better be sure that you don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't be arrogant in your business dealings. 
He's saying there were a group of people, they were businessmen, and they would likely go from town to town, and they would say things like, I'm going to buy that house and flip it, and, and, in, and, and in a year's time, everything's going to be great. I'll make a quick $50,000. He said, or they'll, they'll go and they'll set up shop and, and they'll do their business, and uh, they think, I'm going to go in, I'm going to uh, flood the market with my product, and everything's going to go really well. What this means, this means that if you're a farmer, that you do not count your bushels before they're harvested. This means that you have to actually wait and see how the harvest actually goes before you count them all, before you begin to say, oh, when the harvest comes in, I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to get that, and I'm going to make sure that I have this. It means that if you're a basketball player and you're in school, before the season starts, it means that before uh, you think that I'm going to be the star player and I'm going to score all these points, before you arrogantly decide all the things that are going to happen in your future, it means that you have to stop and that you pause because you don't have any idea what might change. Maybe there's going to be another star point guard come in and he's a transfer and he's standing in your spot and he's actually going to stand in your way and he's going to get the accolades and you're not. I remember a time when I was a teenager and I was going to help a family that uh, they were a friend of ours, and I was going, and, and they had like this uh, weekend set up, a tent, where they made like these curly potatoes. Have you ever had these curly potato things? And you'd throw them in the fryer, and, and they were fantastic. And it was supposed to be this wonderful weekend, and, and I was supposed to be able to make all of this money. And before I went, I was with my sister, and, and it was the, uh, okay, I'm going to date myself here, Okay. Uh, some of you will, will uh, enjoy the nostalgia. Some of you will think that I'm just old, okay? Uh, so it was the era of the first Nintendo, okay? Okay, it was like 8-bit. Some of you don't even know what that means. But they were, there were these gray cartridges, everybody. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, okay? And I remember going to the store and you'd look at all of the games and I, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to buy so many games, Right? I was going to use that weekend, and I was already making my list, man. I was, I was already there. I was checking off the games that I was going to get. I hadn't even been paid. I hadn't worked an hour. I didn't get paid very much. In fact, that particular weekend, they weren't very impressed with me for some reason. I don't know exactly, to be honest, what I did, but... But it rained one day, which means if, if you're in the outside sort of business, nobody shows up, so there was no revenue. James gives us a warning about our work and our wealth. He says, don't be arrogant in your work. If you're in your business and you're in your work and you, you make money, don't be presumptuous. James says, it's actually evil. 
Now, why is this so important? Why is it important that we, that we recognize this? So James gives us the answer. Actually, he gives us the answer in a couple of reasons as to why we shouldn't be arrogant, why we shouldn't be presumptuous, why we have to be sure not to count our chickens before they hatch. He, he says it in verse 14. He says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. How many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Anybody? Now, you, have, you probably have a plan for what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, James is not against all planning. He's not saying don't establish a plan. Actually, in Proverbs 6, the proverb writer says, hey, look at the ants. Look at how it goes. It gathers up all its stuff. It makes sure that it has enough to make it through the winter. He's not saying, James is not saying, never make a plan. For tomorrow. What James is saying is don't be arrogant. Don't assume that you have control over what tomorrow is going to bring to you. What are you going to do tomorrow? I know some of you are thinking, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. And you know what? You probably will. The alarm will probably go off, or if, if you're lucky enough, your alarm will not go off at all. The eyes uh, that God gave you will just uh, simply... oh. Open up, you will get up, your feet will hit the floor, you'll walk into the bathroom, you'll get yourself ready, and off to work you'll go. And that will probably happen. But for some of us, perhaps it won't. Perhaps tomorrow morning, for whatever reason, perhaps your, your neighborhood will be stricken with a, a power outage and nothing will go on. And it will be dark in your house. And you'll find that you've slept in. And no one's going to be on time. And perhaps it is that as you try and hurry to rush to get to work, that you're going to hit that pothole that you try and miss most days, but this particular day that you hit the pothole and you get a flat tire. And you're going to get that flat tire. Now, now the rest of your day seems to be shot as you try and go uh, from the mechanic uh, to the tire place. Uh, do you understand? James is saying, you don't even know about tomorrow. How arrogant of you to assume that you can control all the things that will happen in your future. You can't look at tomorrow and know what will happen. Perhaps it is that some of you are thinking, I'm going to take my kids to school tomorrow. And you know what? You probably will take your kids to school tomorrow. You'll probably get up and you'll probably take them off to school. And hopefully there's not a fight on the way to school. Hopefully everyone is very cheerful as they leave and you say, I love you. Have a wonderful day. It's going to be a great day. And there they go. And you see their backpack walk through the school doors. But maybe tomorrow morning as you get up, in the other room, you hear, <coughs> and you walk into your child's bedroom, and you feel their face, and they're overwhelmingly warm, and you think, I thought I was going to work today. I thought they were going to school today, but instead, you're going to go to the doctor's office. You're going to wait in the, in the area there in the waiting room for about an hour. Uh, way too long, you think, uh, but that's what you're going to do. You're going to go in. You're going to see the doctor. They're going to get a prescription. So what you're going to do is you're going to go to the store. You're going to get something nice so that they feel better. 
You're going to take them home. You're going to make sure that they're okay. You're going to go back to the pharmacy. You're going to get the, the prescription. Are you with me here? You think that you know what's going to happen tomorrow and probably will. But, but James is saying in your work and in your wealth, you don't even know about tomorrow. I think I know what I'm going to do this afternoon, but I don't really know. I mean, I think that I'm going to do some things around the house. I think that I'm going to go and I'm going to be a part of a soccer practice. But, but who knows? I, I might fall down these steps. I know some of you have said many times, I keep thinking that you're going to fall off the stage. I don't know. Maybe I don't think I will, but I might, and I might break my arm, which would mean I don't get any of the housework done. Sorry, honey. James says, hey, you're not in charge of what happens in tomorrow. Don't arrogantly assume that you're in control of all the outcomes. And if that were not enough, he says, not only do you not know about tomorrow, you don't even know about when your life is going to end. You don't know about your own life. Look at the end of verse 14. He says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The picture is of a, of a cloud. Uh, it's of the fog that has come and it's rested on uh, Whiting, Iowa. And then later in the day, the sun comes out and what happens to the fog? It's gone. It just disappears. I mean, if you will, it's a little can of Febreze and you squirt it a couple times and you can smell it, but then it's gone. It's a candle that you have just lit, and there it is. It's this candle, and you blow it out, and there goes the smoke. James says you can't arrogantly act about your work. You can't arrogantly plan for the future, assuming that you know all of the outcomes, because your life is gone. I don't know how many people will die over in this country on Tuesday. Do you? I have no idea. But I'm guessing, if statistics are correct, that there will be some people in this country on Tuesday that die. Would you agree? Yeah, probably. How many of them are planning to die on Tuesday? Are there some folks that may not be with us on Tuesday, that are with us today, that aren't expecting to not be here on Tuesday? Probably. James is saying you can't control the future. You can't control all the outcomes. Several years ago, I happened to be in Nepal. We got there. It was a Saturday. We got up the next morning. We were going to a church service. We had a plan. We were laying it all out. Church service had just ended. We had just finished praying. And there was a major earthquake. So major that many people, thousands in fact, died. Buildings were collapsing. We had no idea really what was happening. We had a plan. But we couldn't control an outcome. We had no control over what the future would bring. You see, all of you have a calendar. All of you have things that you'll put in. And my suggestion to you in your work and how you see the future is that you put those things in pencil. 
and you allow God either to be the eraser or to be the pen who marks all the things in ink. When it comes to our work and our wealth, James warns the church. He warns believers, followers of Jesus, many like you and I. And he looks at us and he says, hey, hey, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't be arrogant in your planning. Don't assume too much. Don't assume that everything's going to work out just the way you thought it would. So what's the... What's the solution? What's the do? What's the thing that we ought to do to try and keep ourselves from, from <coughs> arrogantly, uh, presumptuously assuming that we know all the things that will happen tomorrow? He says in verse 15 that we have to submit our plans to God. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, there's a little translation issue because remember, uh, James is assuming the role of the arrogant businessman. So the translation probably ought to say, instead, when you say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live this and do, do that, uh, you boast in your arrogant schemes. So they're not saying that they want to do God's will. Instead, they're boasting but for you and I, the practice is the same. Uh, before we assume too much, perhaps we ought to say, I say this once in a while, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I think I have this plan. Lord, I, I want to do this with my business. Lord, I, I have this idea for how we could spend our money, but, but Lord willing and the creek don't rise. God, I submit my plans to you. I want to make sure, God, that you know that although I might make a plan, I'm, I'm going to submit myself to you. I don't want to arrogantly, uh, proudly assume that I know all the things. Uh, Lord, you're, you are the power and the sovereign creator over all plans. So I'm going to give my plan to you. And I'll submit to you whatever might come of it. He says, there's a warning Give everything to God. If it's God's will, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, this will be our plan. But if it is, if it is not God's will, I'll change my plans and I'll submit to him. First warning, don't count your chickens before they hatch. He goes on and he's going to give us another warning. And this time he's really going to dig into our wealth. He's going to dig into it, uh, areas of our personal finance. He's going to say, hey, your faith better show up in how you spend your money. He's, he's the first going to say, hey, if you're worried about trying to become a millionaire, if you're looking over the fence going, boy, that would sure be nice. If that's you and you're looking over, then the warning that he gives us this morning is don't be self-centered with your money. Don't look at all the money that the Lord has given you an opportunity to have as if it's all yours. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, now listen, rich people, weep, wail, because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. 
Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. He's going to say over the course of the next several verses, hey, you better be watchful and aware. You better be watchful and aware of what you do with your money because it's not about you. It might feel like it's about you. You might decide that you want to be a millionaire so that you can go and spend it on yourself. And he says, uh, for those uh, that are not rich, that would like to be rich, be very, very careful. And he gives us several, uh, several uh, examples of, of how people who have gotten rich, uh, what they do with their wealth. The, the first was right there at the end of verse 15. He says, you've hoarded your wealth. In other words, you use all of your money in excess and you pile it on uh, only for your own benefit. I read a story this last week about William Randolph Hearst, one of the richest men uh, in the early uh, 19th, 20th century in America. And he had just a, a filthy rich. He had all the stuff. And, and even when he would give parties, he would make his guests pay from a payphone if they wanted to call out. It was a, it was a matter of excess. And the excess was for no one else but himself. You see, hoarding isn't just about getting things. It's that I get things, but those things are all for me. When James is giving us a warning about the wealth that we think we want, he says, hey, if you ever do get that thing, uh, you need to be aware that not all of this can be for you. Don't, don't take it all upon yourself. The question I have for you is how does your wealth benefit other people? How does your money right now, the wealth that you have, whatever God has given you, does it benefit someone other than you? You see, if you're hoarding it, it benefits only you. You think about gaining money so that you can benefit you. But James says if you're heeding the warning of those who would become rich, he's saying, hey, uh, your money will benefit other people. Does your, does your money benefit the church? Uh, does your money benefit maybe a poor college student who needs some help? Uh, does your money benefit missionaries? How does your money benefit someone other than you? James gives us a warning. He says, hey, be careful. Don't be self-centered in what you earn. He says it's not just a matter of hoarding. He says sometimes uh, when we come to our work and our wealth, he said we can have an attitude that we just want more. That we need a little bit more to make things right. That we need a little more to, to have what we really need. And in trying to get that, we defraud others out of what they should have. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, look, behold, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It's a picture of a wealthy person. And they have... They have <coughs> 
bought up all the fields and they have people working for them. And in order to try and expand the margin, they've said, I'm going to pay them a little less or not pay them at all. In some places in our country, you'll have day laborers. You'll show up and other people will know they come there and they can get a job for the day. The picture James is talking about is people who have come, they're being employed, and the employer is saying, I'm not going to give you what I promised because the margins just aren't big enough. It's Christmas season. We're coming upon it. If you haven't visited a store recently, it's Christmas season. One of the movies around Christmas time that always shows up, uh, it's, it's not exactly a Christian movie, okay? Don't judge me. But I've seen it once or twice. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Now, one of the plot lines to this particular movie is that Clark, uh, the, the primary character in the movie, uh, who does all sorts of brash things, and he, he desperately wants a bonus, right? Have you have seen the movie? None of you are shaking your heads now. If you have seen the movie, you know he desperately wants the bonus so he can put a swimming pool in the backyard, Right? He's like, oh, I just want this. It's going to be so great. I'm sorry. I've been so stressful, everybody. And he opens up the envelope, and it's like, you know, jam of the month club or something, right? And you just feel for him. In that moment, you're like, who is the jerk that did this to him, right? I mean, come on. That's kind of what we're feeling. And so Clark's like uncle or somebody uh, who's really brash, like takes him over to the millionaire's house and But that's what James is talking about. He's talking about uh, sometimes uh, when we're so self-consumed by our own wealth, what we think of is, I'm going to cheat somebody else so that I can have more. And so Christians, our job is to say, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to make sure that however I use my money, I'm not going to defraud anybody out of what is rightfully theirs. And maybe you own a lot of ground, and maybe you have a lot of employees, and you need to say with great Christian conviction, my faith means that I will not defraud anybody out of anything, and all of your employees will know it. It means that if you have uh, the kid down the street mowing your yard, that you defraud him or her out of nothing. That that 20 bucks that you were going to pay them, you don't pay them 15 just because they're 12 years old. It means that when you go to uh, the, the, the local restaurant, it means that if the bill is higher than you anticipated it would be, it means that you don't defraud the server out of what you were going to give them. He says, hey, don't love your wealth so much that you become consumed by it yourself and defraud other people because he says in the end, he says the result of that is that those people, they're crying out to God and let me tell you, God will have his justice. The last thing he says, he says, in regards to your wealth and being self-consumed, he says, in this warning, he says, hey, be careful about trying to live in luxury 
Notice verse 5, he says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. He's saying, don't be consumed by consumerism. Did I mention we're coming into Christmas? Oh, it can be easy this time of year to be consumed with consumerism, can't it? You start making your list and checking it twice. You try, try and look at all the gadgets that have upgraded in the last year and saying, ooh, I, I need one of those. And really more than that, it's an attitude of saying constantly, I need the best. I have to have more. I need a bigger house. I need a nicer house. I need to upgrade. I have to have the car. I don't have the car. I need the car. I need the house. Actually, I need what they have. And James is saying, be on warning. This is not how you approach your work or your wealth. Let your faith inform more. So how do we, how do we battle that warning? We're one of the richest countries in the history of planet Earth. How do we battle the warnings of wealth? I think the implication that James is getting at here is live generously. You see, your money talks to God. Did you know that? Your money talks to God. And when you live a generous life, you're saying, this money has no power over me. This isn't about me. God's given this to me. And I'm going to give it back. And you begin to say, I'm going to rid myself of self-centeredness in my money. But you know what? It's not enough for us to come and listen to a sermon or even talk about it. We actually have to reach into our pocketbook. We actually have to write the check. You see, James says you have to do it. You actually have to live the generous life if you want to heed the warning that he's talking about. Now, I didn't plan it this way, but tonight is our harvest dinner, and it's a harvest offering. And so you have an opportunity, church, to live generously, to reach deep and say, I'm going to make sure to heed the warning, and my faith is going to be real when I write a check. And you're going to say, my money has no power over me. And God will know that my faith is real. So church, if you want to be a millionaire, be very aware and be warned. Your faith ought to influence your work and your wealth. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness. And Lord, over a tough topic like money and work, I, I pray that that we will heed your warnings, that we will look at the warning signs and recognize who you are and what you want to do in us. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would work in and through us, that if there are things that we need to jettison in our life, that we will do so. If there are things that we need to accept, Lord, that we will do that as well. Lord, we stand under your word this morning, and we stand under your conviction. Help us, gracious God to know where to put our work and our wealth with our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.